The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals presents the timeless teaching of Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. Grace never helps an individual. Grace does all. Grace never completes what we have begun. Grace sets our works aside and begins on its own foundations, begins to furnish all things from its own heart. There being no cause in the creature why grace should be shown, the creature must learn to cease looking for reasons within himself or for any reasons for grace. There are no reasons for grace other than the nature of the heart of God. Over a half a century ago, the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse, then pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, saw the need to spread God's Word beyond the hearing of his local congregation. He started the radio outreach which has become known as Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible. The application of God's Word as taught by Dr. Barnhouse is as relevant today as when he first taught over the radio airwaves decades ago. The message we'll be featuring on today's edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is entitled, The Nature of Grace. When it was established many years ago, the law of Moses was not given to the Egyptians, the Canaanites, or the Greeks. It was given to Israel. Many Christians have put themselves in the place of Israel and tried to develop a relationship with God based on keeping the law. But the law was given to Israel not to American or Canadian believers. Do you try to live under the law or do you understand how to live under God's amazing grace? The scripture text for this edition of Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible, Romans chapter 6 and verse 14. Here again is Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse with a message entitled, The Nature of Grace. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we come unto thee, our Father and our God, and in the Holy Spirit. We bow low before thee at the thought of thy grace. For when we realize that thou hast stretched out thine hand to touch us, we know indeed that thou art the God of all grace. Take thy word to each heart in this hour and use it to thine honor and glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We are studying the great text in Romans 6.14. For ye are not under law, but under grace. Every once in a while as I study my Bible, I have some old truth re-emphasized to my heart in such a startling way that all things become fresh and new as though I had just seen truth for the first time. It has been so again as I have given much time and thought and prayer to the consideration of this very great and very important text. We are not under law, we are under grace. What confusion has arisen because Christians have read the Bible and put themselves in the place of Israel as being under a law relationship with God? The law was not given to the Egyptians. It was given to Israel. The law was not given to the Canaanites. It was given to Israel. 
The law was not given to the Greeks, it was given to Israel. The law was not given to the Romans, it was given to Israel. And I repeat myself because I want to build up to the fact that may startle some. The law was not given to Americans, it was given to Israel. The law was never given to believers in Christ, it was given to Israel. When we comprehend this fact, we shall be free from the bondage which comes from living under a cloud of commandments, and we shall enter into the freedom, the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, those who have preached this truth throughout the centuries have always been accused of proclaiming lawlessness, but such is the devil's lie. The opposite of law is not lawlessness to the Christian. The opposite of law is holiness under grace, repeated again and again. It is true that the Gentiles have a moral responsibility to God, but they are under no set of rules before God. And it is even more true that those who have believed in Jesus Christ and his atoning work are not under any set of rules before God, but they are freed from the whole principle of legalism in order to live the free-flowing life of grace. Let us note two or three verses which proclaim beyond question that the law was never for Gentiles and that it is not for Gentiles today. The Old Testament passages are beyond question. The Gentiles are even specifically repudiated and placed under a curse. The very wording of the Ten Commandments excludes the Egyptians and with them excludes all the Gentiles. You remember it reads, And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And so on throughout the Ten Commandments. The ceremonial law was even more rigorous in its exclusion of the Gentiles. Why, if a Jew even touched one, he was unclean until the evening. There was no method of approach to God except through the blood of the sacrifice. And law made all of the arrangements for the presentation of that sacrifice. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we find that the main theological contest centered around this theme. The earliest Christians were all Jews. And they got the idea that the believers who began to come in from among the Gentiles should submit to even the ceremonial law of Israel. And this produced a battle royal. Paul, you remember, resisted Peter to his face, as is recorded in Galatians 2. Paul said, I resisted him to his face because he was to be blamed. And the Holy Spirit tells us that this was because of the false theological party which he had joined. And because Peter attempted to force legalism upon the church. In writing to the Galatian Christians who had been momentarily carried away by this insidious doctrine, Paul sets forth our freedom from law in the following terms. He speaks in the first person, we, and that word refers to the Jewish Old Testament believers in contrast to the Gentiles who were coming into relationship with the Lord Jehovah through Jesus Christ. Quote, before faith came, we were kept under the law, kept away from the faith which should afterwards be revealed in Christ. For this reason, the law, he continues, the law was a child servant to lead us unto Christ, 
so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith is come, we, Jewish believers, are no longer under the child servant, that is, the law. I've quoted from Galatians 3. And further on, he makes even more startling statements. In Galatians 5, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. This refers, of course, to those who insisted on the right for religious reasons. For every such man, he says, is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ, and I'm still quoting, Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen away from grace. Later in the same chapter, he writes, If ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Oh, write that in letters of fire. Ye are not under the law. Read in the epistle to the Ephesians. Christ hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. And in the epistle to the Colossians, the spirit goes even farther. We read, and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of the flesh, he hath made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Then finally, in the epistle of the Hebrews, the matter is set forth at very great length, climaxing in the whole constitutional change, we might say, and of which we have previously spoken. We read in Hebrews 7, for the priesthood being changed, as it was from Aaron to Melchizedek, there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Note that it does not say that there was a change in the law, but a change of the law. If there had been no more than a change in the law, it would mean that the law in a new form still held its empire over us. But the change that was made of the law was a complete abrogation of its application to any who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in this that God establishes the new and totally different principle which makes true holiness in living possible through the entrance of that new principle of life in Christ Jesus which keeps on making us free from the law of sin and death. The passage continues. For verily there is a disannulling of the commandment which had been enforced previously because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. And not only is there a disannulling of the previously reigning commandment, but there is the bringing in thereby of a better hope through which we draw nigh unto God. Now we can readily understand how Satan hates this truth. For it is the one truth that makes it possible for a soul to be completely and eternally delivered from the thraldom of sin and brought into a life of calm joy and blessed assurance. It is the one truth that makes it possible for us to live in this world completely above and beyond the world. The novelist in Quo Vadis has Nero disturbed because the Christians came into the arena singing and died smiling. An ancient story has a magistrate asking if there is no way of making the Christians truly suffer. And the answer comes that the only way to make them really suffer is to cause them to sin in some way. Now, because of Satan's hatred of the doctrine of grace, 
He has built up a hundred false theologies, all of which are marked by the common trait of centering man's thinking on something that he can do for himself rather than showing him, as true biblical Christianity does, that God has done everything for him. What Satan wants most is to keep the eyes of an individual fastened upon his own self and his own efforts in order to keep him from looking away to the Lord Jesus Christ alone. There has been built up in the minds of multitudes in Christendom the idea that sin has been broken down into different categories and that man must do the best he can and hope for the best. Many strange ideas have been erected into an edifice of legalism which binds the soul to self-effort rather than to the glorious freedom that should be the part of every believer in Christ. Oh, let us face the fact that such an idea robs grace of its freedom, puts the soul back under the bondage of law, and makes every individual his own savior. Such a system inevitably degrades divine law and patterns it after human law. Instead of human laws being made after the divine law, ecclesiasticism has made an ecclesiastical law that is a degradation of divine law. Forgetting that God made man in his own image, men turns the back on God, creates another God in the image of man, and then prides himself that he is satisfying this creature God. We read in Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked or as the Hebrew has it, incurably sick. Who can know it? And then it continues, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. The Bible tells us that sin is deceitful and the heart incurable. How then can men judge sinfulness and set up laws and categories to judge a sinner since God alone must judge him? If a man is going to attempt to be saved by law, then we must let the word of God speak to him in a voice of thunder. Whosoever keepeth the whole law and yet offendeth in one point is guilty of all. But thank God we are not under the principle of law, we are under grace. I have found a brief outline in Newell on the nature of grace, an outline which can bring this chapter to its conclusion and which may serve as an outline for many a Christian, minister or layman alike, to set forth the glorious truth of our position of total freedom from law and total yieldedness to the Holy Spirit who will bring holiness under grace. First, grace is God acting freely according to his own nature as love with no promises or obligation to fulfill and acting, of course, righteously in view of the cross. Second, grace, because of this, is uncaused in the one who receives it, the cause lying wholly in the giver, in God himself. When we have come this far, we can readily see how any system of human effort is dishonoring to God. Above all, how terrible to think that all that grace does is to incline the soul to believe. Third, grace also is sovereign not having any debts to pay or fulfilled conditions on man's part to wait for, grace can act toward whom it pleases, how it pleases, and when it pleases. It can place the worst offenders and those that therefore deserve the least in the place of highest favor. 
This is why God could reach down and take Saul of Tarsus in the very act of his breathing, threatening, and slaughter against the people of God. Save him, equip him, and send him forth to be the leader of the very people he had been persecuting. This same principle of grace is why God could reach down to take Moses, a fugitive murderer, reveal himself to him, and put in his hand the rod of power and authority. In spite of Moses' lack of faith, in spite of his pride, his argumentative nature, and his willfulness. Oh, should it not give us pause that the Ten Commandments were introduced to the world by a murderer? It's also in the sovereignty of God's grace that he stooped to choose David as king of Israel. In spite of David's lust and cruelty, God made him his king and the founder of the true kingdom and the progenitor of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Oh, should it not give us pause that the highest psalms of praise were given to this world through a man who was an adulterer and a murderer. Fourth, grace can never act where there is either desert or ability. Grace never helps an individual. Grace is absolute. Grace does all. Grace never completes what we have begun. Grace sets our works aside and begins on its own foundations, begins to furnish all things from its own heart. Fifth, there being no cause in the creature why grace should be shown, the creature must learn to cease looking for reasons within himself or for any reasons for grace. There are no reasons for grace other than the nature of the heart of God. Six, the discovery by the creature that he's truly the object of God's free and unmerited grace works the utmost humility towards God. The receiver of grace is forced to recognize his own absolute unworthiness, yea, his worthlessness, and to recognize his complete inability to attain worthiness. Yet in spite of this, he finds himself blessed and he knows that the blessing comes from an entirely new principle outside of himself or anything that he could be or do. And seventh and lastly, therefore, we are brought to see that flesh and the doings of the flesh have no place in the plan of grace. This is the great reason why grace is hated by the proud, natural mind of man. This is why so many religious systems arise within humanity. If they are put under the microscope, it will be seen that they are all forms of the same basic element. Like a hundred chemical compounds of carbon in a hundred different forms, which may appear different to the eye and the other senses of man, but which are the same under the microscope. These religions, outwardly so different, are inwardly found to be, upon analysis, nothing other than so many attempts to allow men to retain their own self-respect while plunging on their way to hell. God will give to every true believer in Christ the high dignity of the Holy Spirit and will allow him to retain self-respect horizontally towards other human beings. God will allow that, but God will never, never, never allow any creature to retain self-respect before the deity. It is for this reason that each believer rejoices with exceeding great joy that we have learned to say, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing.
And then the believer smiles upwards toward God, learning that God can bless him just as he is. It is such knowledge learned from grace that can build us in practical righteousness and true holiness. Nothing else can. Oh, praise God, we are under grace. And our God and Father, we pray thee that the Holy Spirit shall take this truth to each heart. Once more, we ask thee that thou shall give restlessness to any who do not know thee, that they may know no peace till they rest in Christ. But upon thine own who have truly believed in thee, may thy grace, thy mercy, thy peace abide. And a new sense of the wonder of our position as the object of the full love of thine heart. And unto thee be the glory and the majesty, the dominion and the power, now until the Lord Jesus come again and forever. Amen. God, my God in heaven above, how abundant is thy love for thy goodness full and free. strength divine 
powers to the aspire and all my days be thine saved by grace alone this is all my died for all mankind and Jesus died for me The gospel sets us free from the bondage of living under a cloud of commandments. The knowledge of divine grace ushers us into life of glorious liberty as God's children. We hope you have benefited from today's message by Dr. Barnhouse entitled, The Nature of Grace. You can listen to additional Bible teaching by the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse anytime, anywhere around the globe via the internet by visiting the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals website at alliancenet.org. An audio copy of today's teaching is available by calling us toll-free 1-800-488-1888. Today's message again is entitled, The Nature of Grace, or simply request message number R6-32. We'd also like to make available to you a free copy of our booklet entitled, More Names of God. What's in a name, wrote Shakespeare? When you study the names of God, you will discover a wealth of riches in the knowledge of Him. In this free booklet, Dr. Barnhouse focuses on five of the nearly 400 names of God in Scripture, showing how each name reveals glorious aspects of the Lord's character and attributes. Understanding the names of God will help you know Him better. Ask for your free copy of More Names of God when you call or write. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible is a radio ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals headquartered in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We exist to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades and even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching materials which will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible comes to you through the generous gifts of our listeners. If you have benefited from the broadcast and would like it to continue, please prayerfully consider a donation to help us keep this ministry on the air. For more information or to make a contribution to support and further our work, please contact us by writing Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19103. Call toll-free 1-800-488-1888 or visit us online at alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free updated resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, daily devotionals, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians, including Donald Gray Barnhouse, James Montgomery Boyce, Michael Horton, and Martin Lloyd-Jones. Then join us again next time for more classic teaching on Dr. Barnhouse and the Bible.